they could effectively fine him millions and millions and millions of dollars. And everyone says, well, Watson's got the leverage. He just signed a huge extension if they really wanted to. And I don't think they do. And I don't think I could see it happening. The Houston Texans could say, we'll find another quarterback. We'll draft someone. We'll work with McCarron. We'll sign another middle. We'll sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and Deshaun Watson. You will sit. And if we want to do this, we can do this. We will find the shit out of you. We will find you every day and you will never play football again for eight years because not only do we have you for five years, we could technically franchise tag you for three more years. So like the ultimate leverage might be in the player's hands about public opinion and about the, the status of the team. and also, But from a financial standpoint and the fact that he physically cannot play for another football team unless they let him, they do have the final, final like I guess whatever you would call it, the trump card at the end that they could throw down and say like, no, you're never playing for any other team but us. Great end of the week pod for you. We'll uh, talk with Peter Schrader going over all the markets for quarterbacks. I just love doing that stuff. What's the latest on that? A big life advice. We ran through a few of them. And some NBA observations for some of the big time closers in the game. Not all of them, just some. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cashback on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield when you open a savings account with Apple Card. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, subject to credit approval, savings available to Apple Card owners, subject to eligibility, savings accounts provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC, terms apply. I want to run through just some stuff there'll be some numbers observations of watching games this whole week uh, because there were some great games i want to start with utah and philly philly's comeback win in overtime i thought the whole time utah was going to win that game i felt like they were the better team so really what i came away with was a couple observations but just a, a ton a ton of respect for philly for pulling that one out and look philly's whatever version of of these top teams are there were some numbers with philly that scared me a little bit that i brought up you know, some of their schedule stuff, you know, playing so many teams in the East versus playing teams in the West, where you have Utah who's played like more teams against the West than almost anybody other than I think the Spurs. And so whatever Utah's numbers are right now, they're real. And they were doing something specific in this game that kind of spoke to some of the Embiid stuff. And there's there's all sorts of stuff that I want to do from this one. And by the way, Utah fans, I know you're going to be super pissy about this game because you think the refs cost you the game. Um, Tobias Harris getting going offensively, the bench minutes in the fourth quarter for Philadelphia, and Joel Embiid, all of those things also worked against you. Yes, there are a couple calls here and there, and I know that Mitchell and Gobert went nuts. I watch a lot of jazz games. I'm just not a big blame-the-ref guy, no matter what, although I thought it was weird that LeBron in the All-Star draft, which I'm not going to recap, I guess the jazz players for the last two picks, Mitchell and Gobert, and then LeBron was like, look, we grew up and played the video games. Nobody ever played with Stockton Malone. He's like not to disrespect them and then kind of laughs about the whole thing. So I was like, woo, here we go. All right. So people can joke about the Gobert screen assist thing, but he's the best in the league at it. He's number one in screen assist per game. The only other guy that's even in his at his level this year is Sabonis. Um, and Gobert's been the guy forever. And what he, he'll come all the way. He'll be like three, four feet beyond the three-point line. So when then Embiid is left with a coverage decision, and, you know, everybody now references drop coverage, and that's just the guy staying back and 
you know, a few of us on air people learn that word and then we can't stop saying it all the time. But you get Mitchell with a head of steam and Embiid is is kind of stuck and Mitchell has all the moves to finish. He's got the floater. He can dunk it on you. He almost got Embiid and it ended up being the end one. He has enough of a shot that he can pull up if he wants to. And then the way the spacing is in the corners, the way we'll have just this dunker role, which is the guy who stays back on the baseline. It's been the adjustment that Milwaukee has done with some of their offensive stuff where it's not wide open for Giannis all the time. Um, there's another option for Giannis that's not just a kick out. And there's there's all these players like Rob Williams right now with the Celtics. I mean, he's making a living off of that. We saw it. Think Capella, Harden, high pick and roll, and then all the decisions that you had to deal with with Harden where you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should stay with you because then I get a foul. I don't know if I stay with you, then you throw over my head. I don't know if I take a jab at you defensively and then try to retreat, and it still doesn't matter because it's Capella behind me. So I don't even know if you're a GM how you would pay that player because it feels like now everybody can do that and everybody's productive because those buckets are easy. Also think Dwight Howard and his resurgence because I think part of that is happening, and it was happening with LeBron making his life easy, JaVale McGee. I mean, hell, right now with Brown and the Nets, He's like 6'5", and he's playing some version of center, but all of this stuff is wide open because when the Nets, even if it's not with Durant, which is scary about this Nets part, is there's just all this open space all over the place. So Utah was doing a great job with this, and they were actually doing it against Embiid, who at this point I think is the first half MVP. Then the game changed when Embiid went, I mean, he was lighting it up the whole game. And you start to go, like, is Embiid better now? Well, yes. Is he better with Doc? Yes. Is it just because they're running everything through him? And that's what I want to start looking at is some closing players and how they're being used. Because I I know that all of us, and I, I don't mean this is the media part of it, but all of us that are just basketball fans, when it doesn't work out for our team, we're more likely to say something like, how come they're not giving it to this guy? They need to give it to this guy more. And when our teams give it to the guy, right? The highest usage rate and say, give it to him every single time. And then it doesn't work. Then what do we say? We're like, ah, oh, too much isolation. We're trying to force it all the time. And that's why the Mitchell part of that Sixers jazz game was so fascinating is that Mitchell was cooking. And then they put Simmons on him on some of these switches. And I think Mitchell took it personally. And that's kind of the exercise is there's a, there's a lot of room between Russell Westbrook's approach and Jeff Green's approach, all right? You got to figure out where you are. And I think we kind of change it as viewers and fans and, again, in the media, where we'll kind of change what we want based solely on the outcome. Because what is Embiid getting more now? He's getting more touches. His usage rate, I'm going to go over the top 10 usage rates, but I picked five specific players for this exercise. The top fourth quarter usage rates in the NBA, and usage isn't perfect, but it usually gives you a good sense of what's going on. Zach Levine's number one at almost 41%. And if you watch the Bulls games, yeah, that, that matches up. And I'm more of a Zach Levine fan now than ever before. Embiid is number two. So that means in the fourth quarter, and even some of the fourth quarter stuff can be a little off depending on how good or bad the team is. But in this case, and look, all the Bulls games are close and they've blown all these games. But for Philly, who has a slightly lower point differential, this, this makes sense. Hey, let's get it to Embiid. Let's see what happens here. I mean, his post touches are number one in the NBA by a pretty large margin. His post points per game, he's at eight. Vooch is second in the NBA, and he's almost three behind him. 
So they're getting Embiid. All of those complaints for all the years, like not enough post touches, not enough post touches. He still would lead the league in post touches Embiid, but now he's cranked it up again. But again, it's never going to be like it was even 10 years ago, as I made the point, I think, last season where Embiid was leading the league, I think, at like 10 post touches per game. And Al Jefferson led the league at 20 post touches a game less than 10 years ago. So we understand this. The game is completely different. But Embiid is getting those touches. And right now, usage-wise, it would all make sense. So let's look at a couple other guys. Mitchell's ninth. If I did the top 10, I'll do it this way. Levine's one, Embiid's two, Beal's three, LeBron James is four, Damian Lillard is five, Steph Curry's six, Giannis seven, Trey Young eight, Donovan Mitchell ninth. So Mitchell's actually ninth in usage in the fourth quarter. Embiid is second. Dame and Steph who had their little showdown the other night where Lillard was actually terrible throughout the game except at the end where his clutch numbers this year are nuts. By the way, ESPN Stats and Info, Lillard entered Wednesday's game against the Warriors having hit 28 career game-tying, game-winning shots inside the final 20 seconds. Now he has 29. That's most in the NBA. His season right now, when the game's within five points, within five minutes or fewer to play, he's shooting 61% from the field, 57% from three, and he is 100% from the free throw line, all right? He's got 92 clutch points, and he's only behind Zach Levine again because I think Zach Levine's played the entire season in clutch point situations. And on the other side for Steph, he missed a three. He missed another layup, and then they had the, uh, the charge. It wasn't enough for me to be on TV the next day going, you know what, I'd take Lillard over Steph. But Lillard, who when you watch with that jab step, because you can't contest shots anymore, you're going to end up at the free throw line. That quick jab step, he just gets you off of him by six inches, and he's up, and he's good to go, and that's what he did against the Warriors, and that's what he's been doing against everybody. But the funny thing is, is Steph, whose usage rate is just behind Dame's, and Dame runs like the eighth most isolations in the NBA. Harden's number one at like 30%. Steph actually runs the 88th highest isolation rate he's about six percent because golden state is more about movement and it's more about movement even with steph in this current lineup not having clay not having all their pieces all the time steph is actually number one in the nba in fourth quarter percentage of points no one scores a higher percentage of his team's fourth quarter points than steph curry does albeit with a very low overall isolation rate and a usage rate that's behind guys like Embiid, Dame. Um, he's actually, again, just ahead of Mitchell. Some of the Mitchell fourth quarter stuff doesn't mean as much because Utah's blown out so many teams. But there's one final player that I'm going to throw in this mix because as Boston has figured some stuff out, Kemba being healthy is a big part of that too. Tatum's numbers are really interesting because Tatum, you're like, man, does he run a lot of isolation? Yes, he does. He's at seventh highest isolation rate in the NBA right now. But yet he's 28th in fourth quarter usage. He's not even close to some of these other guys. And clearly the Raptors were shorthanded last night. But if you watched that game, if you watched it, the shots that Tatum were making, it didn't matter who was defending him. They were absurd, high level, like, are there 10 guys that make these kinds of shots, types of shots from him? And for anyone, again, when it gets negative, whether it's, oh, Ainge always wants to bury a team in a deal. And you're like, right. So Ainge gets offered trades where he's like, hey, this makes us better. But will the other GM have to go to therapy for depression? No? Okay, I don't want to do the deal. When Tatum was called a Robin, you're like, that's just so stupid. Because Tatum 
even with the high level of isolations, because I do think they get a little wing heavy of taking turns, his overall usage rate actually isn't that high, even for a team that's had all of this roster influx. And yet his closing numbers are still really good. There's one other number here that I like. LeBron James has the highest usage rate in the NBA on attempts, or basically possessions under four seconds left on the shot clock. So four seconds or less on the shot clock, LeBron has the highest usage rate in the NBA. You want to know why? Because throughout all these injuries, everyone just looks to him to figure it out. And scary enough, the numbers actually aren't terrible, which I couldn't believe. So whenever we're watching some of these players, like Giannis against Memphis last night, where Memphis would load up to stop him. And then Giannis is like, okay, this is what they're doing. So in this next play, I'm going to make an adjustment. He gets it out to Middleton for a really big jumper. And that's all you really want is identify what they're doing to you defensively. But I think all of us can do a much better job paying attention to how our favorite players are being used. And instead of constantly saying like, oh, they use this guy too much or they don't use this guy enough. When you look at all the numbers, they all kind of bear out like, yeah, it looks like everybody's getting used about as much as they should be. And everybody's kind of producing the way you would think except for the far extremes, the guys that don't want the ball ever and the guys that no matter what, and even in declining skills, want the ball every single time and aren't getting the same production. But at least with this group of five, and as I look at Mitchell here, you know his, his numbers are off a little bit here, but it has to do more with not his individual numbers, the fact that he's not asked to do as much because they've been destroying so many different teams. But that game in particular against Philly was a really good examination of Mitchell and being like, hey, look how great it can be but look how dangerous it can be also deciding that I'm going to be the high usage guy. I'm going to run every single possession, especially when you have other offensive options. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy, probably should call. It's like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can Talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need. Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. He's one of the hosts of Good Morning Football, also the NFL on Fox, NFL Network. It's Peter Schrager. What's up, man? What's uh, up, dude? Did, did you already film today or what? You guys done yeah, over there? Yeah, we did our show earlier this morning, um, but let's get after it, dude. I'm excited. Draft is here, and so is for agency. I think the league is going to change significantly in the next two weeks. All right, so how bad are the cuts going to be? Bloodbath, and I don't take any joy in saying that, but the NFL is not used to losing money, and I think a lot of these players – 
are not ready for this. If you're noticing, you're already going to see a bunch of guys and whether it's Big Ben or Jason Kelsey or whoever, they're taking little cuts right now and they're saying, hey, I'll restructure my contract. I think you're going to see a lot of that from veterans saying, I'd rather be on the team than be on the street right now because that middle class of players, because the salary cap's going down, that middle class of guys, which is not your not your top superstar and not your you know guy in his rookie deal or the undrafted free agent, the guy who makes about you know, a $12 million receiver, a Golden Tate, an $8 million running back. Those guys, they're in real trouble right now because these teams are trying to figure out how to make it work. And I spoke with the GM this morning and he's like, I also don't think it's going to be that usual deal where free agency starts on March 14th and we go. And it's the Dolphins have signed this guy. And this guy, it might be one of those deals where it's like, it's going to be a slow one where, all right, this player is on the market for two weeks. Why hasn't he signed a deal yet? Well, because there's no one banging down his doors, almost like baseball had the last couple off seasons. Yeah, it sounds like baseball. I do wonder, though, because there's so much cap space at the top. I mean, this this feels significant. I don't know if it's unprecedented. I don't I don't have I don't keep track of cap space going in every single year. But, you know, whenever team will be like, oh, well, we have 40 million. Be like, yeah, there's like two teams with 60 and then Jacksonville's beyond that. So yes. we'll. Wouldn't somebody with that much space, again, with some of the floor numbers that you have to get to, which I still don't think is ever explained well enough, um, <laughs> don't you think somebody might just say, all right, let's let's go after two huge ticket items and maybe reset some of the salary structure for a couple positions? Yeah, that could happen. And I think the really most interesting team, because the typical guys are there. The Jaguars have money, the Jets have money, even the Colts who are a playoff team, they've got a lot of money. The weirdest one, and the one that I'm so fascinated in, and I think you'll appreciate, the Patriots are like third. And it is it is not historically proven that uh, Belichick is going to call you and whine you. And that, like, to watch J.J. Watt do a press conference and be like, I had Frank Caliendo call me, and I had, uh, I had Blake Shelton call me, and Cliff is going to you know be great, and I'm living in 65-degree weather. Like, eh. I think that might be more the norm now where the teams are courting the star player. The team is courting. I don't even think Belichick could sleep at night knowing he has to evolve and maybe make a phone call to like a Curtis Samuel or a uh, you know, pick your random free agent. who's calling Matt Milano and being like, we really need you on the Patriots, but without a quarterback and with what they're coming off of, he might have to be a bit of a salesman. And I think that is really interesting because the Patriots have a ton of cap space but it might be a little bit of that college recruiting deal with some of those other teams that are have been historically terrible in the league. Okay, so Jets, tons of cap space too. So what do you got on them? They're going to spend it. They're going to spend it. Um, it's no secret. I'm friendly with Sala. I've got a relationship with Joe Douglas. I know the owner pretty well. They want to spend it. They want to be players in this thing. What happened the last few weeks is that this Zach Wilson buzz has gotten out of control. And uh, I think we're both friends and, and fans of Chris Sims's work. And I, I think there's some, some legitimacy to that where all of a sudden Zach Wilson, who was you know, viewed in a much different light than Trevor Lawrence during the college football season, is being treated as if they might even be equals, if not some people like Wilson even more. Now, whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. The buzz is there, the hype is there, which makes that pick, the number two overall pick, all the more appealing for another team. You can make a trade for Zach Wilson and you can sell it to your audience and say, hey, we convinced ourselves that this is the future of our team. The Jets have Darnold. He's 23 years old. He's never had any ops, you know, real options at the outside and has had bad offensive line play. They really like him. And I talk to those guys and it's like, we think Sam could be really good. 
they honestly, as we're doing this in the first week of March, they don't know what they're doing necessarily yet, but they do want to beef up in free agency and they want to get whoever that quarterback is, whether it's Darnold or Zach Wilson, they're going to have weapons. They're going to be spending money at wide receiver. They're going to try to get some offensive linemen. They're going to get a pass rusher. The Jets want to be players in this thing and they don't want to be players in a stupid way where they're overspending for players or they're doing, but they feel like with what Sala brings as far as a coach that players speak highly of, want to play for, and there's kind of like this upswing with like Jets momentum right now this offseason, they're going to ride that wave. And maybe some players choose to play for the Jets over other places where historically the Jets had to overpay for players just to even consider coming. How much market manipulation is there with the Darnold stuff? Because it, it feels like, well, of course, the Jets are going to go, yeah, hey, Pete, this guy kind of sucks. Like, you know, <laughs> dude, we, don't, we don't care if you go on good morning football. And be like, yeah, they're pretty desperate to trade him. I mean, nobody would ever want to do that. But it is interesting how many different teams you'll hear about that be like, hey, we'd love to get our hands on him. So give me the Darnold angle of all of this because I don't know that it's a huge mistake bringing him back. I just would love to see a little bit more. If you're a younger quarterback without options, it's one thing to be Cam and it was awful to watch him without options. But for Sam, where you're like, hey, am I going to have a career here? I don't know why the Jets would want to keep doing that to him. Yeah, it's it's actually interesting because of his contract. So he's going into year four and it's like, all right, so this year you still don't have to pay him. He's going to be you know making nominal money. He's not going to be breaking the bank this year. But then if he's good... If he's great, then you're going to pay him. You'll be glad to do it. But like their issue with Darnold, and I think what a lot of these teams entering the fourth year of a contract with a quarterback, and you saw it with Trubisky and some others, is that what if they're just good? Like what if Darnold's an eight and eight quarterback, or what if they're nine and seven, or seven and nine? Is are we paying him a hundred million dollars next year? So if you fall in love with Wilson, you at least get four years of him on that rookie contract and you can make that happen. Now, other teams would look at it and say, shit, Sam Darnold, I mean, that's an upgrade from what we got. You know, you're looking at a Carolina or a Washington or even a Chicago and you're like, all right, I mean, look, Sam Darnold, we'll deal with the contract if we want, but let's at least ride that out for another $3 million or whatever, $8 million that he's making this year. And then we can decide whether we want to give him an extension or not. So he is a very, very valued asset for around the league because you know, he could play quarterback coming out of college. He was the number one prospect. It was him, Baker and Josh Allen. And then the ultimate X factor is like, has he been terribly coached? You know, did, did Gase do this to him? Has he had any chance because there's so many stories in NFL history, and you know this, and Tannehill, I guess, is the latest. Like, just give me a shot. Like, put me on a team that's not the team I've been on, and I'll figure it out. We'll make it work. And it goes, you know, Rich Gannon, there's a million. Steve Young, whoever it is, maybe that's Sam Darnold. And teams think, 23 years old? Shit, I mean, that's not such a bad option right there. So what do you think happens? Who do you think the Jets quarterback is? I still think it's Darnold. I do. I think it's Darnold, and I think that they, they ride this Wilson wave really strong and i know this is early march and i'm telling you i know the guys and it's it rubs people the wrong way when you say that i don't know what they're doing yet i don't think they fully know what they're doing i think they're going to weigh all their options and see the market and all that stuff but i think they want to give donald a shot with with sala and michael floor i think it's only fair to him too you know they invested this time and this money into him for him to be now leaving the team to then see him flourish somewhere else would be such a gut punch i know jet fans want zach wilson i know jets fans want the sean watson I think there's enough that we've seen from Sam Darnold that he deserves another year there. Then with the number two overall pick, if you want to trade that and get a bounty of picks, because there's five teams that want Zach Wilson, I don't think you could shake your fist at that either. 
Okay, so Russell Wilson. I, I thought when he started doing any of this, it was a huge deal because for him to lean anything, anything that leans towards interesting is a shock so when funny. he answers anything. So then I knew, and I look, I'd heard some other stuff. I think, I think the wife wants to be in a market that helps her revive her career a little bit as well, which I think would be the reason you were like, why is it Vegas, Chicago, New Orleans, and in the Jets? And then it was something else. I was like, the Vegas thing makes all the sense in the world because then she could host somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, New Orleans, you know, when New Orleans is normal, but I, you know, it was a little different. It was a little different than just straight up, hey, all the big markets. So yeah. give me your perspective on the Russell Wilson pursuit. So I agree. I've been covering the league for a long time and met with Wilson a lot. Nice enough guy, but certainly never someone for controversy. And his game has always been right down the middle, make everyone feel like you can, uh, you know, you can relate to me and I'm a celebrity in one breath, but I'm also the underdog, you know, undersized quarterback in the next. And we can all look to me as someone that we can all hang out with. And then this thing comes out and Ryan, the crazy thing is that his agent puts, you know, his name on a Schefter report. And it's like, Mark Rogers says, the four markets are X, Y, Z, which for Russell Wilson, for have any controversy publicly and to list the teams and the markets, that was a lot. Now, Mark Rogers, his agent, is a baseball agent. Uh, he's one of the top baseball agents. I don't think he's got any other clients. So I think they also come out this thing from a little different angle where it's like, yeah, all right, like let, we're not in the Jimmy Sexton or Tom Condon factory where this is how it's handled and here's the playbook. Like there's a little bit of a wild card factor here. Um, and I don't know if he's thrilled being in Seattle anymore. And when he went on Dan Patrick's show a couple of weeks ago, I think it was during Super Bowl week, and was like, I'd love to get it more was protection. after, right? Yeah. yeah, it might have been. I want to get protection from the offensive line. And I'm like, whoa, now you're talking about, you know, you're like calling out your guys who are, it used to be like you buy them a Rolex and we get, now it's our offensive line isn't good enough. And there's no secret. He makes a ton of money. He's, one of the most valued players in the league, and they, they love him in Seattle. Um, it seems like he might be unhappy, and I wouldn't be shocked in today's NFL the way it feels. And it's, I know you and Bill talk about it a lot, it almost has a little bit of NBA to it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he's like, trade me, and, it, and they do uh, because it's we don't want to put up with that, and we'll start anew. Anything could happen this offseason, really could. If you think of the reasons why people would argue that, well, it'll never happen in the NFL, it's like quarterback, team, locker room, leader of men, and all this different stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, ultimately, if the player says, I don't want to play and I've made all this money and you can dock me for money for a year for me to get my way. I mean, it's kind of the Le'Veon Bell thing. I mean, yeah. when, if, if you were to say 10 years ago, hey, this running back is going to do this and this is the offer he's going to turn down. And the weird thing is, if you do all the Le'Veon Bell math after the fact, you're still kind of like, was that worth it, actually? Yeah. And, you know, look, his career is is derailed. And I don't know that it's because he sat out the year. But I think we're on the beginning. We're in the beginning of stages of this because I still think Houston from a team perspective, doesn't think Deshaun won't show up to camp with his guys when it's really time. They, and I and they, I mean, you tell me what, because that's yeah, kind of yeah. what I'm hearing. And then I wonder if we're like in the early stages, we're like, remember when the teams actually tried to resist trading the guys and would see if they would sit out until they finally started to give in? Because I do think eventually the teams will give in. Yeah, like, so when Le'Veon did that, I, I remember going on Fox on their pregame show and being like, one of the things he thinks he is, he thinks he's like a pioneer. And 
he believes that he's going to make a stand for running backs. And they also want to have a running backs union that's separate from the players. union. And people roll their eyes, all stuff. It's like the running back union thing was a little, it was I a mean, little much, but, but know, he also but, wanted to be paid as a running back and receiver, and receiver because of his number. So he wanted like a 22 or something like that. And then I was like, let's see if people follow him. And I think Melvin Gordon held out for a little bit and it didn't work out for him. Like there hasn't been, a, if all the running backs got together and we're like, we're not playing, like maybe it would have worked the quarterback position. You need the quarterback. Yeah. And, I, you know, I find it so interesting that like Houston, because I talk to everybody, it's like Houston's not picking up the phone, and that's been the story, and it's real. It's it's not as fun as ooh, there's offers, but like they have a new GM, a new head coach, and like they're coming in there being vulnerable, and they're like, we want to make this work, and we will do anything to make it work because both of us left our good jobs in Baltimore and New England so that we can come and coach Deshaun Watson, not AJ McCarron or some other rookie. Like they want to make it work. But everything from Watson's camp is like, I'm never showing up, never wearing the jersey again. Here's the the crazy part of it is that if rubber hits the road and they they hold strong and they're like, we're going to make it work, we're going to make it work, we're not going to trade him, and we're not going to sign another free agent, and we're not going to draft quarterback, they could effectively fine him millions and millions and millions of dollars. And everyone says, well, Watson's got the leverage. He just signed a huge extension if they really wanted to. And I don't think they do, and I don't think I could see it happening. The Houston Texans could say, we'll find another quarterback, we'll draft someone, we'll work with McCarron, we'll sign another middle, we'll sign Ryan Fitzpatrick and Deshaun Watson. You will sit. And if we want to do this, we can do this. We will find the shit out of you. We will find you every day and you will never play football again for eight years because not only do we have you for five years, we could technically franchise tag you for three more years. So like the ultimate leverage might be in the player's hands about public opinion and about the, the status of the team and also... But from a financial standpoint and the fact that he physically cannot play for another football team unless they let him, they do have the final, final, like, I guess, whatever you would call it, the trump card at the end that they could throw down and say, like, no, you're never playing for any other team but us. Do you know of any teams that have even made an offer? No, I don't know of teams that made an offer. I know teams that have called to start the dialogue and they've been shut down right away. Okay. What about Wilson? What are those calls like that you know of? You know, I mean. There's, yeah. there's limitations on what we any of us can know, but I'm just, you know. Yeah. Um, teams have called there as well. And you've heard that like there's been 10 to 11 teams and I'm not, I don't think they're entertaining the offers, but I think the Seahawks seem to be uh, picking up the phone and at least engaging in conversations. Houston's almost making a show of it, telling everyone, no, absolutely not. Like don't even bother calling about this. Okay. So you'd say it's a little bit more receptive, but not, <laughs> not like I'm not trying to get you on a spot. This won't no. be the breakout video where Schrager says, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Seattle much more willing. Uh I wonder, would you do would you do Wilson for the number one pick? If you're Jacksonville or yeah. if you're Seattle? Either one. I know who would say no to it is Russell Wilson's wife. She'd yeah, be like, This no, was not the plan. Was Jacksonville. <laughs> Jacksonville was not the plan. You know the one that's interesting? Um that was proposed to me today. Justin Herbert for Watson, straight up. Would you do that one? I would. I, I think that highly of Watson, and you I'm did. not. I'm not anti Herbert or anything, but I just. Yeah. I you like guys that I've seen. Yeah, I'd like guys that I've seen do it multiple years. Yeah. And for me, that's who Watson is. And yeah. for anyone that goes, oh well, it's just because Watson they had a bad year. You know, I think most of the support has been on his side because oh, I've also railed against opinion, public opinion has been 99 percent on Watson's side. And I saw Jalen Ramsey came out. I was like, if anyone questioning his character, I'm like, I honestly have not seen that. From yeah. What person. are you talking about? Like, like OK, like, so Brett Favre and Dick Vermeil 
Like, we got two guys. It reminds me a lot of the Lamar Jackson stuff. It's like, okay, Bill Polian said something he shouldn't have said. He was wrong. He was, yeah. his evaluation, I love Bill. He was wrong about Lamar. And then it's like the, it, all stuff this comes out, like, not bad for running it's back. You and you just that. go so, like, well, uh, you know. We're at the like, combine, and, and this is two years ago, and I get the official stuff. And it, teams asked Russell Wilson to work out at wide receiver. And that was, I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson to work out at wide receiver. I just reported it. And then it got taken way out of context. And it's like, you think he's a wide receiver? And I'm like, no, but like that, everyone wanted that to be a storyline. But you're right. It was from Polian. It was maybe from a couple others that actually put their name Booger on Booger said, and- Booger was down on him as a prospect and Booger's owned it. Booger's like, hey, I was wrong. I got, I, you know, for all of us that have to do this and be like, what do you think of every one of these guys? Yes, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. No, yeah. no. Yet, you know, you I need mean, to have look. some diverging opinions. Yeah. And, and gosh, I mean, I, they, they couldn't be more wrong, but guess what? Booger and Polian are still on TV talking about prospects. That's, I mean, that's what it is. That's part of the job. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, but I, I think this is interesting though on the Watson thing, because look, you're, you're so in it is that we had a couple people in Favre who's a total hypocrite, by the way. And Vermeil's just, I mean, he's not even old school. He's like a different version yeah. of old school. Yeah. Um, we're talking about somebody that was what coaching in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. And when I think of, of the Deshaun support, it's it's all the way out there. But I guess the only part of the, some of the criticism, because it, it's it, look, there's a lot of us talking, so you're always going to find something. It's like, okay, well, who does he think he is? If they had this one bad season, isn't he partly to blame for that? And you're like, actually, if you dig into it, no, he isn't. You know, like, and this isn't just about Easterby. It's not just about having the enemy. It's not just about him not being involved in the coaching decisions. It's that he was told that he would have input, and then they didn't even listen. Like they didn't ask him. Like the Texans screwed this up so badly. And it's like you have, I've said this before, you have the three options. You can tell all your players, we don't give a shit. We don't want to mm-hmm. hear from you. You can tell your players, hey, we're going to listen. And then if you do listen and you do something opposite, then you're kind of screwed. But you can do what Houston did, which nobody does. Hey, we're going to listen, but now we're not even going to ask you. So then Deshaun's like, look, I didn't get along with O'Brien. You got rid of Hopkins, on and on and on. This is not just a one season, off season deal with him. And that's why I think if anybody really knows what's going on, that's where they go, hey, I don't have a problem with him saying, I'm ready to turn the page on this. I just think the Texans feel like he's going to show up to camp at some point. You're spot so. on. And I don't think anyone with any actual knowledge of the situation, I'm not disregarding Dick Vermeil or Favre, thinks he's being a petulant, me first player. That's not it. This guy is not that player. And anyone who's played with him or for him or, or with him or has coached him will tell you that he's the ultimate selfless leader. And He's a servant, really. That's what he is. He's great leadership um, qualities. The, the 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 rub on it is that you know whatever happened in the past with Cal McNair or Easterby or whoever, they hired new people. So like you've got a new GM and you've got a new coach. Now David Cully, who's the wide receivers coach, is a 65 year old first time NFL head coach, first time anywhere head coach who is beloved around the league as a former wide receivers coach, but also Andy Reid's like assistant head coach and Harbaugh's assistant head coach. Everything they say is this guy is a people person and is a lover. He almost has those for meal qualities that people love for meal about like full of heart, full of grace, full of class. And I think the hope is that like Watson can talk to this guy and there's a connection. If there isn't, and Watson's still sour over whatever happened before those guys were hired, and there has to be a rubber hits the road moment where you either say, okay, well, then we're going to grant you that. We're going to trade you. We're going to do what's best for everyone in this situation. Or they can play that terrible card, which I mentioned. And it's just like, sorry, 
you're going to never play football again because we control your rights, which we have not seen in any professional sport. No one actually pulled that move. And I don't think they have that in them either. I don't think they want to be vilified around the league. Okay. What have I left out then on, on the free agency primer here? Or should I just ask you more draft stuff? No, I mean, the, the primer in it all is you've got all these different quarterback, these vacancies and these teams, and there's still some great unknowns. Like what is new England doing? Any read on that? Kyle, Kyle was worried about that. He wanted chime in. The, the, the thing I heard from somebody who's not there was like, you know, Belichick's not getting any younger. They've got an old roster. They're not going to be riding with Stidham and a rookie. They are going to make a play for someone. Now, whether that means it's a big trade for what's even someone, Matt Ryan, Matt I don't Ryan. Know, or, or it's a big trade and you get, you know, Sam Darnold. And I don't think the Jets would ever trade with the Patriots, but you know what I mean? Is it that, or is it like, we're trading our entire draft and we're getting in our entire future. We're getting Zach Wilson. I just don't know if Belichick wants to start over with a rookie quarterback at this point in his career. What are they doing is the greatest mystery. And because they have so much cap space, every team is like texting guys that I know are texting me. Like, so what's new? I don't know. I don't know. New GA, you know, Dave Ziegler is the guy running point on a lot of this stuff. It's his first time doing it. Belichick first time in 20 years or he's not the king sitting on top of the league looking down at everyone and being like I could pay a veteran 60 cents on the dollar and he's still gonna want to come because he wants to win a ring it doesn't exist anymore it's a great point man it's a great point but I can't fathom them going in with an unknown at quarterback again after what they just either. went through I, you, I can't you, and, and I, even a I've draft to, go ahead what do you what do you think I mean I've listened to you enough but like can they roll out Cam again? Is that enough for the Patriots fan base? Or are they thinking about the loss to the Rams on Thursday night where we can't throw the ball more than eight yards? I can't believe they would bring Cam back again. Um, it was that bad. But he didn't have any help. They can Sonny talk about John. opt-outs. Yeah, okay. You know, um, you can say he got COVID, so then he wasn't the same. When I saw that, I really felt like if you were tweeting out he hasn't been the same since he had COVID. I was like, I, I think you're a big time cam supporter mm-hmm. so that you just think, like, again, I, you know, I, I don't understand it. I can read an article that convinces me that there are long-term effects that none of us understand. I could also read another article that says that, you know, it's for certain people of a certain age that are pretty healthy guys. You don't expect. So, you know, I, I'm not assuming anything on either of that. I just think it's pretty obvious if you're a huge cam fan, you're making every excuse for it. And if you're somebody like me, it was like, you know, I think 15 was sort of a fluky year with him. And then I see this season. I'm like, I just can't imagine that they would do that. And even if they were going to take somebody in the first round and where their pick is, there, there could be a run. Mac Jones could be gone by then. Yeah. So if you're telling me it's a pick, we, we all know this, even New England. I mean, and their draft record hasn't been great for a long time here. Why would they try with somebody as a rookie that's a 50? I, I can't believe I that they wouldn't. Like, why would they get cute now at the position after they just tried to do it and it was a disaster? I'll give you one. Would you be interested in Tua if you're the Patriots? Yeah, I would. I'm not giving up on Tua, but it felt like Miami's play calling had given up on him during the season. That was weird. Like, I always love looking at play calling with quarterbacks because it tells us what the staff thinks of their guy. Chan Gailey's no longer there. That could be part of the reason. Well, clearly Chan didn't trust him. I mean, some of the goal line stuff they used to do with him, you're like, you don't, what, what happened to the guy that I saw at Alabama Absolutely. who you could trust on all these throws? So I would personally, because I watched all the Bama stuff, I would be in the tool market right now. But I think the fact that Chan isn't there tells you that they're not ready to, I mean, that would seem a little quick, don't you think? It was. And I think the Dolphins are interesting with two, a third overall pick because of the Texans. So you could technically take another quarterback if you want to do the Josh Rosen deal and just say, you know what? 
Kyler's better than Rosen. Sorry, that's what it is. They could do it and trade off Tua. Um, I got to think they're going to bring him back. But when you hear the Watson stories and then you hear New England and the connection with Saban, obviously everyone goes to Mac Jones immediately. But I don't know, Flores and Belichick, it'd be very incestual and a very odd deal. But anything's possible. Tua is an interesting one. Donald's an interesting one. Matt Ryan's an interesting one. Um, You know, someone said Alex Smith. I don't see them going that route either. I I think they want to. Let's play the game, though, okay? Because okay. guys that played for Flores love them, all right? And and again, the same thing's happened in Miami. And the fact that they were competing the way they've been competing the last two years, too, and they still are sort of a team that I think yeah. roster-wise, we go, not they're either. not, they're right, they're not where they think they, they'll mm-hmm. be, even if it's not, you know, hey, we finally have a roster now, let's see what happens. And Flores gets those guys to show up every Sunday, which is what I loved about him. And what I always kind of loved about Todd Bowles, too, when he was with the Jets. I was like, that team's not that good. And look at this dude. And why I hope he gets a a job again um, on the next next cycle. But would Flores tell Bill the truth about Tua? (laughs) Like, no. What What if Brian's there and he goes, you know what? He's just not the same guy. NFL players all over the place on Saturday. Alabama O-line, even though Mac Jones O-line was better than Tua's. And he says, yeah, I'm going to sell fucking Bill on Tua. <laughs> and, then, like, and, then, right. and, then, and then a year in, Belichick is like, our relationship is forever done. I hate you. I don't know how I did. Yeah, no, look, there's actual friendships here. And there's actually mentorship. Like, But it's also it's survival, game of survival. And if Belichick grades out Tua and is like, I saw something that you guys didn't get the most out of. Again, it's, it's very hypothetical. It's not going to happen. But it's No, it isn't. But I, and I, I love... I and love the, the role playing of it. At all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there's a, so many people down in Miami worked for Belichick or were with Belichick that it's those two teams, those franchises are very, very similar. It's kind of like when Bill sent Bledsoe to the Bills. That's all you needed to know. He's like, right? yeah, okay, you guys got him. Thank you. You know, I remember Andy Reid trading McNabb to the to the Redskins in the division on Easter Sunday, and it's like he can't be good anymore. Like they, he's not going to trade him to the arch rival team. You know, after all the years they are, but these, you do see these trades sometimes within the division. So Washington moves on from Alex Smith, and I I feel guilty almost of being like he just wasn't that good this year. Um, which was overshadowed by his incredible comeback story. You're not allowed right? to say that. I know. I know you're not allowed to say it. But uh, and I'm not, you know, whatever. But they have they have question marks all over the place where it felt mm-hmm. like they at least had options two years ago. They're already out of options, and that was quick. Yeah. Um, they re-signed this Heineke for two years. I thought he played pretty well. He's gonna have a shot. Cam Newton played with Ron Rivera for years. They're still very, very friendly, and I know that there's a lot of love there. I don't know if that makes the most sense for him. Or if you're Washington, do you look at the draft? I believe their pick um, is number 20, I think. It's it's not like it's the ideal pick where they can be, but they could also get a rookie quarterback and go from there. There's no pressure on Ron Rivera right now. He is he's set there in Washington. They finally have that franchise back on track. They have this great young defense and this Chase Young. And, and there's a lot of goodwill around the Washington football team for the first time in maybe 25 years right now. I don't think they feel like this win now pressure where they've got to make some huge, huge play or huge, huge swing to win a headline. I feel like they're not going to do anything too crazy. Okay, last thought here. Um, the Good Morning Football crew Okay, is Kyle Brandt. is his social media. I want to do NFL comps here for your co-hosts and players. Mm-hmm. Kyle Brandt, social media, more like J.J. Watt than maybe people would admit. Yeah, so... There, there was a very, very curious post, and it was him with his shirt off, oh, I saw out it. with the ropes. 
And there's a level of self-awareness. And I, and I, and you know, part of me cringes as this cynical New Yorker that I am and just, who just hates on everyone. And then part of me is like, all right, we've been through a pandemic. It's aspirational. Like maybe he's motivating someone to make a change in his life. And then Burleson posted, posted it. And I was like, wait a second, what is going on here? Nate's posting Kyle's thing. And then I, you know, I'm like, am I now, am I now, do I have to post Can I not be cynical? Can I, can I not be a hater to Kyle knowing he knows that I'm rolling my eyes at it? Truth of the matter is he looks good. He wants you to know he looks good. He looks great. He He doesn't look good. He He looks looks great. great. And he, and, and, and you know what? Shit. If I lost 40 pounds and had a six pack, I probably would want to post it too. Especially if I can't see people in person anymore and I'm sitting there and I'm at home and I'm like, so I'm not going to say it's JJ Watt and that it's in your face too much, but that one post really put me through the emotional gamut. Cause Kyle's probably one of my best friends right now in my life. We talk to each other every day. We work together every day. And I just can't imagine one of my best friends from life ever posting a photo of themselves with their six pack revealed holding ropes and me not shitting all over it. So it was a real, what would you make of it? Well, it, well, the funny thing is a lot of guys were coming after me being like, where's yours? If you're the workout guy, you're the guy. You know, now that he's doing stuff with Spotify and I'm getting too much credit as being the workout guy. You are I, don't the have, guy. I don't think that's entirely fair. Uh, and I was like, hey, look, man, I, you know, that's, that's incredible. But I also was like, you know, 185 is a little easier to get a six pack. Okay, here we go. Now we're talking. I'm, I'm, yeah. in, I'm, in, I'm in a little higher weight class as well. I work hard. Um, I don't even think I could take a t-shirt off at the pool still. Like, that's how I feel. I'm not. Now, you know. Okay, now, Kay Adams is not afraid of a post. I would say I that's a little bit a little bit more Tom Brady-ish, though. It's, got a, it's always got a little artsy tone to it. It's almost like a hybrid look. So you're like, oh, is that Kay? And you're like, no, that's Kay. But like, oh, it's the same person. So that's a whole different prep that goes yeah. into that that I think is actually should be, you know, appreciated. Oh, yeah. And Brady's stuff is a lot of it is like, all right, it's it's clever, it's witty, and and we're gonna and that's case. Like it's she's putting it out there, but there's there's also a little bit of a hint of I'm in on the joke, I'm here, I got it. Like this is my comment on this. That's how it that. feels. Yeah. And that's how it feels. Like she's she Kyle's very self-aware as well. Kay is self-aware as well, but you're right. Very different social media branding. And there's Burleson, which is just an onslaught of, um, you know, I'm promoting this bottled water company from Cleveland that, you know, is paying me 30 cents for the Instagram ad. I don't give a crap. It, let's go. Nate is all in on everything. So that's, that's the one where it's just, you got to have a filter of some sort. I can't get through it. 30 cents seems low for a post for Nate. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to guess he's, he's doing a little better than that. I think he's doing pretty well. I, he, he was promoting, um, and there was like a brand recently and I was like, gosh, like, and I wasn't hating on it, but it was like pizza. And I was like, so yeah, but it sounds crazy. like, right. It sounds like we're hating on it and then we're not. I mean, look, I, I think you have to, I think being older and being more comfortable with yourself is not being threatened by what anything, even though of, everybody's, what do you make of cameo? Are you on it? No, they actually, okay, well, I don't want to say, I don't want to say this because then I know what's going to happen, but let's just say I've taken anyone that's reached out, that's found a way to reach out. I've done birthday videos and whatever. I just do it for free. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't, I'm yeah. not going to charge anybody for that because the fascination with Cameo is that I love looking at pricing. <laughs> So like it's <laughs> it's the ego of one guy to Where be like, well, I what's rank? right? Well, if Emmett Smith is at one ninety nine a cameo, can I it's be at one hundred? 
And then there was another dude that was at like 500 and I'm going, yeah. you're, you're getting 500 or do you want people to think you're getting 500? Oh, and then on the lower end, I you saw set a couple the market of people yourself or do they tell you? I think there's probably some hybrid deal. So now they've been after <laughs> me for a while and now he just bugs me. So I just say, no, like it's not happening. So now I'm like being stern about it, but then I'll see people at the lower end. And then I go, does it hurt your own personal brand? If you're nine bucks a cameo. Yeah. And then I'll think, well, maybe that person is just really a great person and their heart's in the right place. And they want to be able to do as many videos as they can for anyone that's interested in their, their deal. But the problem is if you're on page 12 of scrolling through, it's sort of a bad look. And then I don't even know if you're going to get any kind of fitness deal. Like how do you get a fitness deal if your videos are less than a guy that's a reliever for the Mariners? Absolutely. Uh, you know, so Burleson, to his credit, as much as I'm busting his balls, he will do the same. He'll he'll literally sit at the table and do 40 videos for, you know, Joe's Bart Mitzvah out in Cleveland. And he'll do it for free. Like, he's not on Cameo. And I'm like, that's exhausting. Like, he's always doing I'm not even on Instagram. So I don't even, like, wade into those waters. But I'm in a fantasy football league with my friends, and we show up to the draft. And there were some, some actors from our youth run um, that were – announcing picks and they were, you know, they were doing a little roasting of our fantasy league. And I, there was a, there was a hint of, haha, this is funny. And there was a lot of hint of, I want no part of this. I don't want to ever be, I'm never going to be the parody of the joke that, oh my God, this actor is calling out a, you know, whatever the hot shots part do fantasy pick. Um, I'm not a part of that. So I'm going to stay away just because I don't want to be a parody at any point in my life because I need $17 to post something. So, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who else was first because when, when it first came out and Chris Long started up his website deal, the first thing he did, he's the first person that I saw do it. He was having ex teammates make fake ones okay. that he was sending to me that I don't know if he ever ended up releasing him because I think by the time he got them all organized, other people had figured it out. Nobody else had done it yet. Okay. He has LeGarrette Blunt saying like happy 50th birthday to somebody's iguana. Yep. And LeGarrette's totally serious. He's like, what up? He's Very like, honest. And, and it's, he's totally serious. And then Chris sent me the video and it was the funniest yeah. damn thing I've ever seen because he's like, all right, I got to bang out these videos. I got two happy birthdays. Be like, oh man, an iguana turned 50. All right. <laughs> okay. Let me, let me make sure I do. Let me sure. I, I got the iguana one. I got two birthdays. I got a graduation yep. and long was having it. Cause you can't tell if you go through the back doors of the email, he had all of his teammates doing the most absurd videos and it was hilarious. And then I think he was supposed to release it and then he probably yeah. just got bored with Never it so it. i don't know, Never did don't know. It. that's it that is peter schrager good morning football nfl on fox uh, as well great reporting and great talking with you man talk again that soon. was awesome thanks man this episode is brought to you by seed you know as you're getting a little bit older and you're like hey i wonder if i need that supplement what's going on with that one does this one make me feel better or did i just buy it or did somebody suggest it i'm not really quite sure what the deal is i'll tell you this probiotics the right ones they work. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24-hour clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Use the code 25Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's 25Ryan to start seeding today. 
This episode is brought to you by Sonos. Game day is about to get a whole lot better with the Sonos Arc Smart Soundbar. It creates a precise, immersive experience. You actually feel like you're there watching the game in person. I want to emphasize immersive because I had an immersive moment the other NFL Sunday with my Sonos soundbar where I went, wait, is somebody trying to break in? No. Oh, it's Dre Greenlaw tackling somebody and I can feel it behind me because of the audio magic that I'm currently wrapped up in like a sleeping bag. Uh, it's not just for game day. It's great for family movie night, streaming audiobooks or podcasts if your favorite host has some base two range. Another detail I love about the Sonos Arc is the speech enhancement feature. You turn it on, you never miss a word of commentary or game analysis. The night sound feature turns it down a bit. You know, you or your partner, hey, I don't really want to hear this TV late at night. Yeah, but I can't fall asleep without it. Oh, that's right. We have the night sound feature. You can also expand the system. Just keep adding. Are you a collector, right? Get in there. Check out the catalog. You're going to like a lot of their stuff. Experience the unbeatable sound of Sonos Arc for yourself. To learn more, tap the banner or visit Sonos.com. That's S-O-N-O-S dot com. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. We've had great life advice submissions here. So we'll see how many we get to. Um, it, and by the way, uh, I really want to thank so many of you that reached out to Whitney Reed, who was our fitness guy we had on. And he's just a really normal guy. I mean, it's a tough world to kind of be normal in. It's so competitive. You constantly kind of have to talk about yourself the whole time. I think he's far enough along in his career where, you know, he, he's not worried about a million followers. But I think he told me by last count, he had a thousand people sign up for his thing. And he's been DMing guys left and right giving him help and he's fired up about just helping people. So, you know, I don't know if there's a big bait and switch later on where you're at a seminar or at a holiday inn in Tallahassee. And, you know, I'm just kidding, but, uh, that, that's really cool of the audience. And I know that people that do what I do for a living can get a little bitchy about things and focus on the negative stuff. But then there's always these reminders, how great people really are, how, how most of us are always trying to do the right thing and, and treating people the right way. So that was, that was really, you know, look, there's a minor, you know, version of, of what we're talking about, bigger picture here, but the fact so many people were so cool about it and reaching out to him and he spent that time with us. So we're going to do stuff like that again in the future. It's just, I don't know when it is, so I'm not going to promise anything. We did have mortgage guys reach out though, after our young top 125 radio host talked about buying a house. And I'm always a little worried. I've had a few realtor friends go, Hey, will you lighten up? This isn't easy. And I go, no, I'm not, not trashing the entire industry. I just, I think you know, there are times realtors when you know the house sort of sucks. Look, I'll never get over the guy that was showing me a place here in Manhattan Beach that had no living room. It was a bedroom, a walk up to the kitchen, and then like island area. And I was like, hey, I'm not the brightest guy all the time, but I got to tell you, floor plans, I've looked at some blueprints. Where's the living room? And he was like, you know, Manhattan Beach, you can be outside a lot. <laughs> and I was like, are you, you know, in my head, I'm like, I was like, yeah, but sometimes I'm inside, dude. I was like, where I got to watch games. He goes, well, you know, you bedroom, you set up a big TV, kind of lounge. <laughs> I was like, yeah, or fall asleep all the time because I'm in bed. I'm like, what, what am I? Charlie and his family from the Wonka movie? Okay. So, um, mortgage, some mortgage people reached out after the fact and 
they were like, hey, uh, here's just an example. Because I was like, oh, here we go. Mortgage guys are going to be upset about what I said, being like, look, it doesn't really make a ton of sense. And he goes, I'm a mortgage guy, and your advice stays spot on. Um, I'm a mortgage advisor. I would do everything I could to talk that guy out of a mortgage if he called me. Also, the rates part was spot on because it does not matter. It looks like the market is dropping. It's better to buy now because the answer is nope, unless you can commit to a minimum of five years. So basically, he's just saying, look, and unless you're unless you're in it for the long haul, which you are not by design with the profession that you chose, I, that's why I said it really, literally, it doesn't make any sense for you to be doing that, and it's going to be really frustrating because sometimes people, both men and women, they're just they want the thing. They don't really think about the rest of it. It's like, oh, I just want the thing. You know, I did a two car deal at once. You know, Kyle, I'll admit it. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get a second car. I remember Van Pelt when I rolled into work. He's like, wait, did you go? Are you on a two-car move right now? <laughs> I was like, yep. I was like, I just did What it. was the second one? I got one of those like sporty Lexus deals. Not the small entry-level one, folks. But uh, nice. It was, it was just one of these deals. I'd never had a sedan ever. So I was like, let me just try it. And then it was great for a little while. And then for a while, you're like, all right, I'm paying insurance on two cars. You know? You bundle. You save, right? You do bundle <laughs> and you do save. So, you know, make sure his state farm like a good neighbor, even if you have two cars. So, yeah, I, I think there are people that are just like, yeah, hey, everything you said makes sense. And I know this is the wrong decision. I want a house. Okay, let's get to them. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. This one's terrific. First time, long time. Uh, was going to hit you with my stats. I guess people want the stats. 36, 5, 7, 175 pounds. He throws in some bench and deadlift numbers there. Great. Three years ago, my wife and I moved to the suburbs after having our first kid. Being in our young 30s, this was a somewhat difficult transition, missing out on solid friendships I had made with guys that even to this day get after it as if we were one of the first couples to have kids. Um, okay. I would argue my wife is more than generous and understanding about letting me join up with my guys. However, making friends in our new neighborhood took longer than expected. We live in a young family neighborhood with people our age hosting parties and whatnot for their kids pre-COVID. We ended up getting to know, by the way, the, the pre-COVID qualifiers for so much. I know a ton of you guys are lying about this, but I think it's great that you <laughs> care enough that you're like, yeah, well, you know, this is what we used to do pre-COVID. And you're like, no, you're probably still getting together in a garage in the backyard with the kids. And you know what? I'm not judging. All right. We ended up getting to know a group of five to eight families that would hang out quite a bit on the weekends, birthday parties, holidays, playground dates, etc. Again, after a solid group of friends that I connected with uh, at this new stage in life. So here we go. It was clear these guys have been hanging out for a while and I was the new addition to the group, but I was invited to join regularly so much that we started a monthly poker game, which rotated people's uh, between people's houses. A group of the wives joined us to play poker one night and I ended up winning. Yet one of the wives didn't put it into the pot. It's 20 bucks we were talking about here. So no biggie and nothing was made of it or mentioned to the wife. Fast forward to the conundrum. One of the neighbors hosts a New Year's Eve party every year. After an afternoon night of boozing heavily, an impromptu poker game was suggested once the kiddos were put to sleep. We all straggled over and played through the night, but it should be noted, I kept bringing up to our group how I wasn't worried about losing any money tonight because whoever won would have to get my buy-in from the wife who didn't put in during the last game. Uh-oh. And you're the new guy of the group. Mm, no. uh, yes, there was some truth to the statement, but ultimately it was lighthearted jabbing, mentioned with sarcasm, smiles, laugh every time. Okay, the problem is you, you say every time <laughs> um, in that I kept bringing up to our group. So I love to see the minutes make, from that meeting. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. You you keep bringing it up, dude. All right. So, and obviously within recent history to bring it up. So he's giving us qualifiers, and all I'm seeing is a guy that day drank and kept kept bringing up to a core group as he's the non-core group guy in this mix that somebody's wife didn't kick in the buy-in and you're shit-faced and you keep bringing it up. So <laughs> red flags all over the place. Towards the end of the night, one of the dads got fed up with my comments. Again, this is comments, plural, and told me that if I can't afford to play, then not to come back next month. So now he's digging at me financially. Truth be told, I'm in the lower tier financially than all these guys in our neighborhood. Good on them for putting themselves in stronger financial positions. However, after hanging out for a year or so, it's somewhat clear this is how they identify their status. Even so, this comment obviously struck a chord with me as I told the dad making the comment to quote, fuck off. And that quote, I would embarrass his ass in his own home. If he comes at me like that again. Okay. The next day, the said dad and I squashed the beef at the mailbox. The next day, the dad said, or the dad who we're talking about here. And I squashed the beef at the mailboxes as one does in the burbs. COVID hit two months later. Since this time, I feel as though I'm being shunned from this group. I know of hangouts that they've had I was not invited to. Text threads have gone extinct. And interactions with the neighborhood, i.e. playground and walking the dogs, are just plumb awkward now. I've reached out via text individually and on group text to initiate conversation to see if these guys wanted to meet up for garage beers or something of that nature, but nothing is reciprocated. Am I the asshole for losing my cool while drunk during a poker game? Am I overthinking the situation? Is COVID to blame for the non-reciprocation? Are these dads being too sensitive about how that poker game played out and shunning me from the group? In the end, I feel as though this has brought me even closer to my city guy group, knowing that these things happen. People pop off every once in a while, and we come back together closer for it. It makes for solid stories and for people to grow from this. I do feel bad for losing my cool as I'm not that guy, never been a fighter. I'm usually the peacemaker trying to break things up. Yeah, I mean, at 5'7", 175, if you said you were going to embarrass this guy at his own house, I hope there's some sort of... Brazilian jiu-jitsu savat, something going on <laughs> somewhere in there. Um, you never said you said you've never been a fighter, usually the peacemaker. I'd be lying if I said this situation hasn't bothered me over the past year, but I need to know if this is uh, repairable. If so, how? If I need to cut bait and seek out new friendship in our hood. Okay, first thing, this isn't COVID. Okay, this is not COVID related. So I, I think you already know that. Um, yeah. if, if other guys, if you're getting blown off here for a year straight, it's all because of this incident. I mean, you did tell another guy in his house you would embarrass his ass in his own home and you're the new guy see that's the thing that you reference here as your core friends because the great thing about all of our core friends is that our tolerance for each other is much higher than anyone knew because we've been through all this shit and that's why i think there's such a constant theme in these emails and even at times when i've adjusted and look i just care about work more than anything so and again i'm not bragging about that I'll look back on it and go, you know, maybe I shouldn't have cared about work as much. But my point is, is like you and so many of the guys chimed in here being like, you know, I have this group and then I move and then we're not in touch as much anymore. And it's harder to make new. Yeah, it's it's all hard for everybody. You know, when I have a couple friends that are like really good at moving to a new town and they have all these guys that are in the mix, I'm like, how did you do this? It's like, man, I tried. I worked it. I joined a country club. You know, I I, I say hi to people at the gym. Like I really care about meeting new people and networking and all that stuff. And I'm like, God, that must be exhausting. I'm like, I would just get hit up for tickets and shit that I can't even do. So I don't, you know, like I'm, I'm such a non asking a favor guy because I don't want people to ask me for favors that I don't ask anybody for favors either. So back to kind of the original point of that core thing is that everybody's kind of in search of that core group that matches your initial core group again. But that's the whole reason why the core group exists in the first place, because there's really no way to ever replicate that. 
So, you know, when you start to go, oh, you know, I'm in this new town or I'd like this, like you're the, if you had done this with your group, it, chances are when you were younger, somebody in your core group has already done something to you that was messed up. You guys have all, so you just desensitize yourself to all of this. Whereas a story you would tell the guys from high school, your hometown or college or those years in a big city, maybe you're all chasing the same dream and you're living in apartments because somebody knew somebody from St. Lawrence and then he knew a guy from wherever, you know, all of these things combined to, to where when you're younger, you have these moments where you've shared them. So as you get older, you're kind of cool with it. Whereas I remember like the first time removed from my Vermont bubble and I was like, wait, this isn't going to like, I need to change the way I act. I need to, <laughs> I need to not tell <laughs> stories because I don't know any of these people really. And, and you're, you're hoping this new group is going to be like the old group and it's just not possible. So now the bigger problem here too, is if this group is all hung out for a while prior to you showing up on the scene and I don't know how long you'd been hanging out with them prior to this, but yeah, you screwed up and it, and it seems like you're paying a significant price. I don't know if there's a side door here. I don't know if there's one of the other guys from this group that you could go to and just be heartfelt about it and go, look, I'm so sorry. I screwed up. It's not like any of these guys probably haven't gotten drunk and done something stupid too, but you brought up somebody's wife, you told somebody to fuck off, and then you said you'd embarrass him in his own home and you're the new guy. So all that math, none of it works in your favor. So I don't even know if it's repairable on this. Um, it's clearly bothered you. And it would probably bother me, too, if I did something like this. And then all of a sudden, I'm walking around in my neighborhood going, nobody likes me. Nobody returns my texts. I know these guys are having parties without me. So I don't know that you can fix this. I mean, you could try. I would go with the guy that maybe is the most forgiving. There's always one person in the group that kind of gets over a thing. Is every, but th this guy who you told to fuck off in his own house and that you would fight him, I don't know that he's ever going to get over that. You can say you squashed in the mailboxes. Nah, probably not. I mean, I don't know that he's ever going to look at you any differently than this, than like, no offense, but like if, if he's a bigger guy than you too, he may be like that dude stepped to me like this. So I know it sucks, but sometimes, you know, there's times where it's just unavoidable. <laughs> like there are going to be times where you do something where people, I mean, unless you never do anything wrong, but I, I think that's rare. So I would try to find like the one person in the group, if you really cared about fixing this, where you go, Hey, it's bothered me this whole time. You know, you get one shot at it. You can be really sincere. It's bothered me the whole time. I'm sorry. But if you ever do it again, no one's ever going to talk to you. And, and here's the deal. 20 bucks in a poker game. I can see you making the joke and whatever, but um, it makes you look like you're cheap, even though you probably aren't. You know, it was like a line that'd be footing with your main guys. But since these aren't your main guys, they're just going to judge you differently. And that's the whole problem. Back to the original point. You're always trying to find a way to replace those, those dudes that get all that stuff and everybody gets along to that same level. But I just don't know that that happens later in the life the way it happens earlier in life. Because at that point, you're just kind of stuck with each other and you've been through it all together. So you, you just understand each other. And when you meet new people, you can pretend that's going to happen, but it rarely does. Kyle, anything to add to that? No, you ever said that you would right on the right on the nail on the head. That's pretty much all I was going to say. Have you ever told anybody you would embarrass them in their own house or apartment? Maybe no, definitely not. Definitely not. I'll tell you what, though, people that cheat at poker. We had a we had a group. My core guys from Vermont. There was there was a poker game, and everybody was pretty banged up. I was not there for this, but it was a legendary story where apparently somebody else's wife was stealing from the pot. Oh my God. 
And when it cashed out, the pot was light, like a hundred and something bucks, but nobody knew what happened other than the guy that won was like, wait a minute, let's go around buying, buying, buying. All right. I remember getting money from everyone here. What happened? And then they knew this wife was like, really, I don't know how this, she's not in the mix anymore, but one of our, you see, one of the dude, guys, you see, <laughs> no, but I'm just saying like one of the guys went completely off the reservation. I don't know. We were like, what, what happened there? And then people were warning us about her too. Like she was. She was a little on edge. And then she just basically had stole like 120 bucks from the pot and then like started crying. It was like, fine, fine. She's like, I didn't mean to steal it. And they were oh like, God. what? <laughs> like you stole, you did though. You did. She, she was like sitting, she was sitting on top of like $20 bills and, and guys are just like, it doesn't make any sense. Like we're all close friends. Like did somebody actually steal 120 bucks from this? And then everybody's like, who's new? They're like, oh, gross. You always, yeah. They're like, we kind of, his wife kind of sucks anyway. Could she have done it? Yep. And then she started like totally freaking out, crying. You're like, I can't believe you guys accused me of this. And somebody's like, because you did it. You actually stole the money. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, how can you be mad at us? All right. Uh, our guy's checking in 22, balding at 22. My man. I live in Utah, a senior studying biology. I'm 5'7". All right. Back to back 5'7 emails. So here's the issue. I'm 22, starting to ball. There's some angles that look fine and others that look quite bad. The experience has ruined taking photos for me. I'm currently in the dating game, and I'm always a little worried I'll be, be a huge turnoff, especially because I'm so young. I'm at least uh, of average attractiveness, maybe a bit better than that. Our man sent some big-time pictures. Um, these are real. He sent the, you know how when you can send a photo on an email and it gives you like the five size options? <laughs> This it's guy supersized <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually got like motion sickness because of how close up these were. But you know what? For for getting all the facts out there, it 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 blew me away a little bit. Honestly, this guy kind of looks like a little bit of an emo me. He's got kind of a Princess Bride facial hair thing going on, which you may want to still can you know keep investing in. But dude, I, I don't first of all, the pictures aren't that bad. They're just huge. Okay, so. <laughs> Um, I think he's a decent looking guy. So shout out to you, average attractiveness. I would I would bump yourself up a half point there, you know? Anyway, what makes it worse is none of my friends or peers are having the same issue. Yeah, dude, most people at 22 aren't going bald. So I know that sucks. He goes, I want nothing more than to rock the mane with my silver hoop earring. And for those wondering, yes, there is a big silver hoop earring, which I say, again, this guy must love the Princess Bride. Should I start shaving my head? At least then I won't have to worry about the angle of the picture and appearance all the time. I've been told I have a good head shape for being bald, but what else are people going to tell you? Yeah, you know what? People are just going to be lying to you. The people that care about you are going to be lying to you. And then the people that pretend they care are like secretly like rooting against you. I don't know if there's a business that can kind of project lumpy bald head versus symmetric <laughs> bald head. That'd be a great side business if somebody wants to start. I'm sure you could probably just do that. You know, run a run you through some sort of scan and be like, hey, this is your projected bald look. What do you think? That's actually a great idea. Bald advisors. So as you're losing your hair, you can be like, this is what you can look forward to. Here's some, I guess the hair replacement things. If you're that worried about it, those would probably be a better business. Okay. Another one of my worries is once I'm bald, I'll have to choose a category of short, bald, white guy that I want to be. Rip, short, bald guy seems like he's compensating way too much. Overweight, short, bald guy seems like an even worse option. You want to know why? Because it is. So fuck anybody that gives you a hard time for saying you're overcompensated by being ripped. Um, here, I, you know, 
this really sucks. It really, really sucks. And people that don't go through it don't understand how much it sucks. I mean, I was I was devastated there for a while for for a little bit. And you're hoping girls aren't going to notice, and they definitely notice. Um, luckily, I was tall enough that it wasn't a huge issue. And you know, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, there's there's really two ways to go here. I was not ready to shave my head when it first started happening. I just wasn't ready. And for anybody that says, oh, shave your head, shave your head, shave your head, fuck off. Like if you have a full head of hair and you're telling me what to do, that's like me telling parents the best way to get their kids on track in elementary school. All right. It isn't. I mean, I could have some thoughts, but ultimately I should shut up, even though I host a podcast. Sometimes I do have to do that. I wasn't ready. I just wasn't mentally ready to do it. I was hanging on for a little bit. I didn't think it looked bad all the time. Um, the celebrity game was pretty tough to hear John Barry and those guys make fun of me the entire second half. And my buddies were like, dude, are you going to kill those guys? I was like, well, I'm not going to go back and watch it all because I played like shit too. So, you know, the whole experience, I got some shoes out of it and met Kevin Hart. So that was fun. But um, I, I think the bigger thing with this is, you know, I could say, hey, maybe you'll, have a decent sized dome and maybe you'll you'll lift a little bit and all that but i would yeah i would make sure you you know i i don't think balding and having a shaved head at 25 and then also being overweight because you don't want to seem like you're compensating is the worst option of all these things you don't look you look like you're in shape now so i can tell you not to worry about it but you're going to worry about it all the time you're worried about it enough that you're sending pictures to a stranger asking how your head looks so the the one thing you could do is you could just get it over with now so that now from from till whenever in your dating scene, you're already bald guy. And by the way, you have enough hair now where you can shave it up and it just looks like it's cropped really, really short. And then you can just make a joke that I make all the time. Like, I'm not going bald. I just shave my head. So you could get it over with. You could do maybe a summer where you do it and then go back to it. But I'm just telling you, don't feel bad about feeling bad because it does suck. And nobody. I, there's very few people that are like, I hope I lose my hair at a really young age. I mean, for me too, trying to be on TV, I was like, oh, this sucks. You're going to be kidding me. Um, but everyone else telling me what I should or shouldn't do, it's really up to you. And some of us were ready and some of us, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready until I did it. And then when I did it, I was like, shit, I wish I had done that five years ago. I think it's a lot like kids for people that are losing their hair. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I wish I had done this when I was younger. And yeah, I kind of wish I did, but I wasn't ready. So I didn't. And who cares? Now I never care about it. And by the way, there are women that actually really like it. I don't know why either, but it's true. What about all those commercials like hymns and keeps and like, does that stuff work, you think? Or is it like big dick pills? Well, um, anything you want to tell us about either of those products? Uh, I have no, I have nothing to say about either one, except for oh, okay. um, just like, I mean, you actually do see commercials for, um, uh, like hair stuff where it's like, you know, you see the before and after and it's like pills and shampoos and stuff like that. And I don't know, it's, it sounds, it sounds like a little bit far-fetched, but like, I don't know, it's 2021. Yeah. I don't understand why, it, why there's like still a stigma if a dude gets his hair fixed when every woman can have an enhancement that we all seem to be huge fans of. So, um, it's, it's kind of weird. Like if you're getting your teeth and your breasts and everything else fixed and, and dudes are getting their teeth, you know, capped up left and right. Um, why can't you get your hair fixed? Uh, but the problem is, is like, I would look at like when Erlacher did it, it looked like straight shag carpet, you know? Wait, the guy have a bunch of, did he plug that? Like, what did he do? I don't know what he did. I think it was a, I think it was, I mean, LeBron definitely tried it because you can see the tracks out of the back of his head where he went to try to, 
do some resodding. Yeah. And it didn't take. So when I saw stuff like that, now again, LeBron's younger than me, so that's not the example, but I would see guys at the gym with the old school reseeding where, and I'm going to talk about receding hairline. I'm talking about Scott's turf, <laughs> you know, where you could see this almost perfectly scientific level line of bangs that they'd always comb back. And I'd be like, I don't know if I want that look. Um, and I, you know, look, I looked at it. I looked at the videos and I have a couple of friends that did it. And I'm like, holy shit, that looks great. And they did it in a way they got it early enough that nobody really caught on to what was going on. I mean, Brady clearly did something. Yeah. Brady's Brady's hair now is way better than it was, but I'm sure Brady's going like, you know, whatever the, the German <laughs> platelet thing is, the, the hair version of that is, you know, <laughs> I mean, does Brady even win? Does Brady even win Super Bowl six or seven if he's bald? That's you a know, great question. Out there, like, why tittle? The team definitely wouldn't feel the same about it, so that's for sure. Yeah, although they treated him like a bald guy at the end. <laughs> so, <laughs> looking back, I, I probably could have, you know, because my thing was like a big divot on the top of my head. And I was, I was like, you know, you didn't always catch it. And then somebody was asking me about it last night um, because I'll never forget how pissed off I was. They... They had a jib operator, which is that that camera that swings around. It's oh, on yeah. a big crane. <laughs> I've heard this. And yeah, we were. T- I, I've told this story before. We were talking about it on the show ESPN two back when Vin Pelt and I were on ESPN two for an hour every day. Um, and then they just canceled it. Didn't tell me and told Scott like a day before they were announcing it. Um, which I think the reason they canceled it is because it was me so many times solo, just in an enormous room by myself for three hours hosting a radio show, and so. It looked it looked so bad. One time, Chris Carter was like, "What are you doing?" He like came into the commercial break. I go, "I'm hosting the show." He's like, "You by yourself? Like just sitting here?" I'm like, yeah. He goes, "That's hard." I was like, "Yeah, it is." Especially when you do it like once a month. And then uh, he's like, "I'm gonna hang out with you for a bit." I was like, "Are you sympathy guest hosting with me right now? What's going on?" <laughs> so yeah, they they ran uh, they ran the jib. The operator, the director was like, "Hey, get a get an overhead." And Van Pelt was like horrified. He's like, "Up." Oh. He's like. Russell's not going to love this. And I was like, hey, I'm sitting there with this smile, just raging, being like, are we really doing this to me right now? And then I remember another time they had like a third cam set up in the new studio that was smaller. And the director came up to me and he goes, hey, because we're going to get rid of that third cam because it's a really bad look. Jesus. And I was <laughs> like, okay. And then another time we did it, like we did the pictures and they used like the worst picture to make sure it showed. And I was, I was convinced for a while there. I was like, ESPN... I feel like this is long-term contract negotiating where every picture they release to me. And again, I'm not the hottest guy <laughs> and I'm also like the least photogenic dude ever. So that's actually great if somebody meets me and they're like, God, you look horrible in pictures. So your they're average attractiveness. Yeah. yeah, right. Wow. Oh, you know, or guy. like when people think I'm 5'7 because Van Pelt's 6'8. I'm like, oh, wait. All right. I'm repeating myself. I've, I've talked. I guess what I would say before. to this guy is just, could, could you try one of the low stakes options while you're trying to like hang on and figure out your next move, like could you just try the shampoo pill combo and not necessarily go go the plugs route, but like try one of the lower stake options? Like maybe he has already, but he didn't mention it. So, like, yeah, try a subscription I, you look, box, you know, while you figure it I out. I would, I would try it. I don't know. I would. My guess is, is that stuff really worked. More people would know about it, well, but Dog's I think it does it. work. Yeah, I think the science on it is that it works enough that people can say, hey, it works for some. I tried the foam stuff forever and knew shit. Yeah, that's what I thought. Not big dick I was buying that stuff left left and right. 
you know, and it was expensive. And then I thought I was doing it to keep what I had. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't working. So whatever. Um, yeah, I, I remember I told you that story too, right? The, 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 well, you can figure out the brand, but the, the company stopped by the tour to ESPN radio. And I mean, I couldn't believe it. And the guy from <laughs> the company that produces the foam was like, oh, these are, hey, Ryan, you're going to meet so from foam. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. How's it going? And the guy's like, look like you, looks like you could use a little. Oh, fuckers. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I've been using it for years. And then shit. <laughs> All right. One more life advice. I like this one because it's a little heavy here, but not in a depressing way. On Friday, I wouldn't do that to you. I just think that this is, this is it's really simple and it's very cool. All right. I love your show, the segment. Um, I think it would be helpful for me to give you a quick timeline of how my adult life has gone so far. 18, graduated salutatorian and voted most likely to succeed. So I guess the valedictorian was, there were questions about him. So that's pretty good. Inherited $150,000 from my grandmother. Serious money where I'm from. Look, that's serious money. Married my college girlfriend. So this is 18 graduates salutatorian, 1950K. Uh, that money's gone. Uh, 22 married college girlfriend, 29 son was born, age 30, tipped the scales at 225 and 5'11, had gained 45 pounds since college and decided to start running. Lost 60 pounds at age 31 and then cheated on my wife. Whoa. So our guy got back down to 165 here. Is that what we're talking about? Okay. So I mean, he's 5'11. So 225, 5'11". I'm sure the, I don't know. Why, why am I spending so much time on this? Anyway, so he loses 60 pounds at 31, cheats on his wife. Age 32, gets a divorce. All right. By this time, all my inheritance is long gone since spent. Yep. I discovered that my ex-wife had racked up about 20 grand of credit card debt without my knowledge. Awesome. I also discovered that she was seeing a woman while we were together. She's engaged with a woman now. At this point, I was completely broken and stopped talking with my family due to the fallout from my cheating and subsequent divorce. Age 35, married the woman I cheated with. All right. Okay. Committed. I mean, you cheated on your wife. You lost some weight. There's probably a lot of stuff going on there that you didn't share with us. You don't need to. You can kind of figure it out from the timeline. I love the time. I love the efficiency of this timeline. Um, and if she was going to end up with another woman, probably not a ton you could do about that. So hopefully you don't beat yourself up too much over that one. All right. And 20, 20 grand of credit card debt is better than 100. So there you go. I'm age 37. I live in a 1,000 square foot house with my beautiful wife and wonderful son, and I make under 50 grand a year. I've embraced a minimal lifestyle and have adopted a philosophy of not wanting what I don't have. My home and lifestyle have been criticized and joked about by friends and acquaintances, uh, and acquaintances with surprising regularity. All of my friends make more money than me and live in nicer neighborhoods while I live in a house worth $60,000 and work for a nonprofit. I tell myself that they don't understand that I want different things and I'm happy without having more. My question is, Am I full of shit? <sighs> wow. I honestly don't know. At one point after my divorce, I never dreamed I would even have this much again. And I wonder if it just set my sights too low as a defense mechanism. I love my family and I don't want to lose it all again. I also don't want to wake up in 20 years and wish I had done more to ensure greater financial success. Should I just be happy with what I have or push myself to strive for more financially while I'm young enough for that to be a realistic goal? I would appreciate your thoughts. This one was a great pick, Kyle, um, because when he goes, am I full of shit? I honestly don't know. That is some really difficult self-evaluation that most of us avoid. It's like a poem. 
Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Because I don't know. I mean, I don't know you, but it's a pretty aware deal here to go. Maybe I live in a house that's worth 60 grand and work for a nonprofit and don't care and keep telling myself I don't care about any of these things because that way it helps me um, accept what I am right now. Now, see, that sounds shitty as I, as I say it, but I, I'm looking at it this way. Uh, you said you're happy, but are you lying to yourself about being happy? Again, I don't know. You said you never thought you'd, what you'd have now after everything went sideways there and you have it right now. Um, but I do know that there are people I know that, you know, as, as now I'm in my forties, you can tell when it's like, do you really believe that? Or is that you kind of justifying every decision that you've made and you're telling me you're really happy at your certain position, but you know that you're not, but you've just decided to justify it every step of the way. I'm not even saying that's what you're doing here right now, but I think the fact that you're even asking that question is pretty crazy. Because look, if I had ended up in Burlington, um, you know, I probably wasn't going to bartend my entire life. But had I, you know, maybe I would start saying stuff like, hey, look, my kids are healthy. I didn't want all that. You know, who would want the stress of that? Close to, you know, I'm still in New England. LA's a mess, traffic, property taxes. Uh, you know, it's a sense of community. It's where I went to school. It's home. Feels like home. When <laughs> really I'd be saying, like, dude, you never, you never tried. You never tried. That's not even what you're doing. The fact that you're working for a nonprofit and you have a family, you're doing far more than whatever I was doing back then. You're 37, by the way, too, and you're still really young. You may not feel that way, but you are. So I would not listen to me because I don't know you. But is there anyone that you trust that you can ask these questions to? And you might not want to even ask your wife. You know, Is there a close friend? Is there a family member? Is there a parent? Is there a sibling? Where that you're asking yourself this question. Now, I don't know if there's some weird light at the end of the tunnel moment where you go, holy, wow, I'm asking, am I full of shit? And I I don't know. And now I've learned that I'm not and I'm truly happy. And now I'm never going to look back and question myself again. I think we question ourselves all the time throughout life. I mean, that's kind of part of the deal. Like if you talk to a guy who's 25 and 26 and and if you could, if you could convince him of anything, it's that, you know, you just get older and say you're my age, you just go, yeah, this is kind of the deal. This is kind of what it is. Like there's, there's probably never really this moment of euphoria. You're like, Hey, I've accomplished all my goals and now I have a family and everything's awesome. And I never second guess myself. And I never like, no, you do that stuff. It doesn't really ever go away. The difference is, is how much do you let it consume you? You can have it pop up. And I think that's normal. I think it's healthy, but if it, is every day, are you waking up every day thinking about this? Then it becomes more of a problem and it probably starts distracting you from, from whatever it is that you're pursuing. So I don't know what your goals are. If you have different goals, I have you know, the fact you're working for a nonprofit and you want different things, and you don't care about materialistic shit and you've, you've come out of this on the other side, which I imagine a much better family situation. You know, that'd be enough for a lot of people. It really would be. And we all compare ourselves to too many other people all the time. You know, you can 
want to be the annoying neighbor that's keeping up with everybody, but there's always, all of us have a little of that in it. You know, when I hear about somebody else in the industry, for the most part, I'm pretty happy for everybody. I want everybody to get paid. But every now and then there'll be that one where I'll be like, what, what happened with that guy? What are they doing now? I'm like, oh, and I shouldn't, but I do. And as long as I'm not doing it every single day, then it's not that big of a deal. So there's, there's a deeper conversation for you to have with somebody that you're a lot closer to than a guy that you're listening to with the podcast. But I like to ask the question and it's a really, it's a pretty heavy question for all of us to ask ourselves. Like, wait, is this actually what I wanted? Is this really what I wanted to do? Am I happy? Do I keep, do I just keep telling people I'm happy or do I pretend that I'm happy when I'm really not happy? I mean, that's, that's some heavy stuff and I'm certainly not qualified for any of that. So <laughs> enjoy your weekend, everybody. And uh, do this. Don't ask yourself any of those questions for 48 hours. And then we'll tackle them on Monday. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.